Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Big League Flicks, a sports movie podcast. I'm Jamie McKinman, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. What's shaking, boys? Hey, boys. How are you? Good to see you. Been a good uh, long week this week, so it's uh, great to uh, get to uh, do this again. Hey, guys. How is everybody doing out there? Uh, yeah, nice to be back again this week. On a side note, nice ending song on the last podcast there, Jamer Webb. Appreciate it. Thanks for everything. <laughs> Loves it. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I knew you loved that song. You know, I just want to make sure it was in there for you. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> All right. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be continue our ride with Ron Shelton and Kevin Costner uh, right into the sun-scorched, windswept fairways of West Texas. That's right. Today, we're putting on the 1997 hit, Tin Cup, under the microscope. Waggle. Waggle it. From the creator of Bull Durham. And white men can't jump. The club head was waggle the club. Uh-huh. Comes a story. Oh! That's a pretty girl, is such an ugly swing. About men and women and the games they play. Remember, this game's about trust, and touch, and letting go. Hi, darling. Hi, honey. Oh, no, not, not him. You got it bad, huh? <laughs> Something about that chick. I uh, take it you're a feminist. No one's ever saddled me with that one. Well, you might try being saddled sometime. Smell of leather, sting of a whip. Yes! She must think I'm such a loser, lousy driving range pro. Local legend Roy Tincup McAvoy, <laughs> the best player to never hit the big time. It's an easy game, this golf. Wasn't going anywhere. Oh. It's gotta be the woman. I thought you said it was a virus. Well, a woman can have the same effect. But ever since Dr. Molly Griswold got inside his head... I think I'm in love with you. What? He's been changing his whole approach. From the moment I first saw you, I knew I was through with bar girls and strippers and motorcycle chicks and... Stunned, huh? Tell me you're not at least moderately attracted to me. You have moments, Roy. Yeah, well, you tell me which ones are my moments and I'll try and duplicate them. Just thinking about how to get in your heart. You're all nuts. Yeah. To the cop. To the cop. Man, Let's dive into our brew review. What are we drinking today, Webb? Well, similar to last week, we, uh, you know, we're still in this whole COVID pandemic, so it's getting a little harder at times to uh, to import that beer that we'd like to. So this week, uh, given that we're doing a golf movie and we couldn't get uh, the beer of choice that we wanted to get, we decided to go with the Golf Course Classic. Uh, for those of you that are big fans of uh, Army's or Arnie's Army, you'd love the drink that we're enjoying today. Made with a fine bullet bourbon, uh, the boys and I are enjoying a nice Arnold Palmer. Uh, so cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. These are tasty, I'm not going to lie. like I've never actually had one of these. I've heard of them. They're pretty tasty. Uh, you, I guess you can make them with different things, but because uh, there was a scene in the movie where McAvoy, to me, it looked like he was drinking bourbon. He's probably not drinking anything high test, right? He's, he's got his hand over the label on pretty much every drink, so I'm assuming no that... No free pub. 
Yeah, there's no free publicity <laughs> on this movie. It, last movie they had uh, like uh, Bull Durham that you could clearly see the Miller High Life, and they drank it pretty much in every scene, so you could tell they probably had a sponsor there. But this one, he always had his hand over the label. I think that was obviously by design, but. Yeah, it looked like he was drinking bourbon, so I'm like, well, let's sneak a bourbon into this. Uh, I, I saw you could make it with either, like, vodka or whatever, but I, I don't know. I like the bourbon in it. I think it the bourbon gives good. it a nice uh, oaky feel. Yes, very oaky. This is one of those drinks that you can drink after a good round. You can drink a lot of them after a bad round. It's going to be good no matter what on a 19th hole. I feel like it's one of those drinks you just can't go wrong. Yeah. You have Arnold Palmer, who's a classic. You're paying homage to him. You have Lemonade. You have iced tea, two great things together. In this instance, you have bourbon. How do you go wrong, boys? Can't go wrong. You can't. You really can't. So today we're talking Tin Cup. This is one of my favorite classic movies as well, uh, as far as sports movies go. So it's kind of neat that we're segueing into this movie because it was also written and directed by Ron Shelton. And obviously he wrote wrote and directed uh, Bull Durham, which was our first episode. Uh, Shelton's got a pretty pretty good uh, sports movie stable. He's this isn't going to be the last time he's uh, we're going to be featuring one of his films on our podcast. So there'll be more to come on him for sure. It was produced by uh, Regency Enterprises, released in 1997, starring Kevin Costner, Rene Russo, Cheech Marin, and Don Johnson, Miami Vice himself. Right. <laughs> so uh, the synopsis is uh, Roy Tincup McAvoy, played by Kevin Costner, is a washed-up former NCAA golf champion who owns and operates a rundown driving range in the West Texas town of Salome. McAvoy, along with his longtime partner in crime, Romeo Posar, played by Cheech Marin, live in a Winnebago behind the driving range and spend their days drinking, betting on which fly will hit the bug zapper first, and avoiding the IRS, until Dr. Molly Griswold, played by Rene Russo, comes into their life. Dr. Griswold's boyfriend is McAvoy's former University of Houston teammate and arch-nemesis David Sims, played by Don Johnson. McAvoy falls for Dr. Griswold and embarks on a transformational journey as he rekindles his ongoing feud with Sims, which culminates in the quest to qualify and win the U.S. Open. So what are our thoughts, boys? Uh, what, what do we think of this movie? Sure, I'll start first. As an avid golfer, I love this movie, but great cameos. Uh, you know, Jim Nance still looking, you know, studly today that he does in, in that movie way back when. But you got guys like Jaco- uh, Jacobson, Corey Pavin, Freddie Couples. Awesome, awesome cast. I think Don Johnson is the perfect, I'll say, villain in this particular instance just because he's he's got that smug look on his face almost all the time. And I think the thing that uh, hits home really, really well in this particular movie for me is just you could leave the golf out of it and it could still just rate for you as a decent movie. Uh, the golf on top of it just makes it a fantastic uh, a bonus for me anyways. I agree with that, Webb. I'm with you on a lot of things in regards to the themes. A lot of different entry points for this movie for different people. You know, the sports is, it's on a way almost secondary to what's going on and the relationship issues, the dynamic, that love triangle. Everyone loves a love triangle. I think the people were cast very well. To piggyback on what Webb was saying, that Don Johnson, that smug, that smile, the voice, all of those things play a great antagonist, so to speak, in there. And... The clothes, that visor, that visor, we'll talk about that at some point, but the visor alone, it just makes the bad guy of golf look. Was his visor fit fire? That 
visor was not, as the kids would say, fire at that point. No, and not on trend, I must say. He's got a little Davis Love the Third. He really does. I've liked a lot of different things, too, (laughs) watching it in 2020. To me, that's the old PGA you're seeing. You saw the walrus out there. You saw, like, the pre-Tiger effect. You saw guys who, like, Don Johnson's character doesn't look like a modern-day golfer anymore. That little guy who's out there hitting it. That's not hacking it anymore, pun intended. And you're not seeing that in modern day times. So it's like, to me, the last of the pre-Tiger times. And the walrus to me was the ultimate, where you're like, that's the walrus. That's an amazing person to have in there. Great. Overall, love the movie. Yeah. Um, great watch of two hours that flies by. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, you mentioned the pre-Tiger effect, and it really was. And I think, interestingly enough, I, it was either the same year or the year after where Tiger broke on the scene and, and won the Masters. Yeah, was I think it? Tiger's big win at the Masters Nin- was 97. 97? Yeah, I think yeah. Tin Cup had just kind of come out and finished, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure somebody would have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure it was 97 Masters. Right. So, I mean, like, and I think when I was looking, when I was doing a bit of research, I think Peter Jacobson had a huge year that this particular year, which is why he was prominently featured, especially on moving day. when remember, he was kind of, Making a charge there in the last. Yeah, he round. was already uh, he was already in the clubhouse waiting for the playoff. Yeah, mm-hmm. if there was going to be one, if if McAvoy, you know. Yeah, it actually took me to rewatching this movie to actually remember him because I he just seems to be so gone from golf now. For, yeah, you know he's not involved in anything. He kind of had that really big year on the tour, which was ninety, I guess ninety six, and then he didn't really do much after that. Like he didn't really have he didn't really, like Tiger came on the scene. Uh, Phil kind of emerged as well. Like he doesn't another guy in there, like Corey Pavin. Yeah, I was like Corey Pavin. Yeah. I completely forgot about it. No, Corey no, Pavin. Bom- no bombs from Phil in this one. No huge calves in this one. But uh, I'm sure, he, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure uh, he had those calves just re- ready and rocked, ready to go. And how, how tall did he him. look? He looked super tall. He looked super thin, tall. Right? I think he was standing up a couple of times too, like up on maybe a little ridge on or something. Riser. I'm wondering yeah. that a little bit because he, he looked, looked big. In a he few looked of skinny, those. and he looked. I think that just made him look taller. Absolutely, I think he's a fairly big guy. I think he's about six one. I bet you he's way stronger than you think, dude. I don't know. That is a strong dude. Super, he's got super hands. I think he's a Mm -hmm. fairly good athlete. Absolutely, he is, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So let's jump into the character review here. Let's start obviously with the main guy, Roy McAvoy. What are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. on Roy McAvoy, played by Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner's a fantastic actor. Liked him in the last movie. Very similar character, I guess you could say, in this particular case. Maybe not as as grizzled, cagey as he was in in Bull Durham, but definitely, cagey, uh, I like that. But definitely uh, entertaining, nonetheless. I mean, it helped that he had some great sidekick in Cheech uh, or Romeo, I should say. You know, when he when Romeo talks about the spa, uh, <laughs> that one kills, kills me every time. You threw uh, it into spa, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, and he's got the, the shanks and all that. Like he, he does, you know, you see a little bit more of, uh, Costner's comedic side, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think this was a, a great, uh, a great fit. Uh, again, you know, getting to work with the same director writer, that would have been a, a huge plus for him too. So, I mean, I couldn't imagine somebody else, uh, besides Costner playing the role, but I don't know. What do you think, Jared? He does such a good job of being the grizzled vet. That he can just play it. His look, we talked about in the last pod. His look, he just looks like the grizzled vet. Here's one thing I thought about Roy was, and I think you guys can all relate. He's perfect for that typical guy from your town that had all the skill, but couldn't put it together and go anywhere. High school hero. Everybody knows one of those guys. Absolutely. And he fits that 
that sometimes you see later on down the road, 20 years later, what happened to? He's the guy 20 years later, what happened to? Yeah, working so, at the aquatic range. Yeah, working at the, <laughs> some dust range in West Texas, you know, he fit to me fits that role perfectly. And that like always like that leathery, he's just leathery. He's and he fits it. He is. And he fits the bill for it 100%. I had a couple other things I liked about him was uh, I like that he doesn't really listen to anybody. Yeah. He just fits that. It's perfect for that. He's the guy who doesn't listen to anybody and just the beat of his own drum, so to speak. Jammer? Yeah, I, I mean, I love Costner. I think he, he just plays these roles so naturally. I, I don't know. I don't think he had much of a golfing background, but he played baseball, you know, and he's a good athlete and it'd be pretty easy i think to get him get him into the flow of things as far as golf goes a lot of a lot of athletes kind of fall back on that um but he's he just plays the role he you can tell he's been in the culture and i know there's a lot of talk now about sports culture and and obviously it needs a redesign and then as far as like being in clubhouses and dressing rooms and you know on the course and stuff he, he, those type of roles just seem to fall naturally to him uh i think that him and uh uh, Shelton are a great team like they did mm-hmm. ob- obviously did a great job in uh in Bull Durham and I think it kind of carried over into this movie even though it was several years later but yeah he's he, he's perfect in this role really epitomizes the story of what McAvoy is supposed to be he's this tragic story of this guy that had so much and he's always on the cusp of getting it talent yeah he's always right at the edge he's like oh he's gonna do it this time and then he doesn't and he self-destructs and right. I feel like golf's that one sport that even though you're at an amateur status, you can still climb out. Yeah. In other sports, it's not going to happen. No. You're not going to get from to baseball that way. But in golf, I feel like even his climb to the U.S. Open, he's still, it's kind of neat through the, the lowest floor as he works his way up. The shelf it life is longer, right? It's, it's a bigger yeah, window. It's, 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 it's not a uh, sport that's as demanding on the body in a lot of ways. You know, you can play it for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it lends itself that way. The thing I really love about this movie, too, is you get to hear another uh, uh, rant, if you will, a soliloquy from Costner talking about the golf swing as poetry. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love know, that. Fantastic. And you had, a, you had a pretty interesting fact about that when we were, uh, we were talking about this earlier, something about how the when he talks about the short swing being added in right right well yeah we'll get into that a little bit later but uh there, there's an interesting story to a lot of it ties around gary mccord which is a he was a great character in this too mm-hmm. we can talk about mm-hmm. him in a bit as uh, other characters that stood out but yeah i, I just thought roy was a he was an, uh, an he frustrated you but you're waiting for him to succeed and waiting for him to not melt down but he's He's Roy McIlroy. He's this guy's gonna melt down. It's what he does. It had to happen. But he's yeah. lovable in that in that same sense, you know, which is why I think Doctor Molly Griswold, you know, falls for him. Yeah, and of he's course. also kind of like he's that guy that, like you mentioned, Jr. Like he doesn't care what people think. He's just gonna do what he wants to do. And there's there's something cool about that, right? Uh, what about Doctor Molly Griswold? That's played by Rene Russo. I I really liked her as a character. I, when you first start seeing the movie, you think she's this lady. She has everything together. She's perfect. You're like, wow, this person knows what they're doing. And as the show goes on, you start. she starts to unravel, so to speak. And you find out that she's almost as much of a gong show as Roy. She has that scene where there, she goes into the Winnebago after he was in her office. And she kind of like has a bit of a – she lets her guard down. Yeah. She lets the facade down a bit. And she starts talking about all these guys she'd been with and all these failed relationships. And you're like, 
You know, like she, she, yeah, she's got some flaws too. And I, I think you see from her some really good acting. Yeah. To pull that off. Like not just any actress would be able to do that, but she's a good enough actress that she was able to kind of pull that role off. She did a really good job of it. I thought her character was really necessary to this show. And that was my main thing. I said, as I was watching, I was like, this lady's just not Roy, but she she has her flaws too. And at the end, she kind of says, go ahead. I'm crazy too. Yeah. Keep going for it. And you're like, go for it, Renee Webb. Yeah. I don't know if I would want her as a shrink, so to speak, yeah, where yeah. she's encouraging the self-destructive behavior. But, uh, you know, yeah, she's fantastic. I mean, Renee Russo, um, she plays that smart, um, intelligent woman very well. I mean, she you see it again in Thomas Crown Affair where she plays that kind of very uh, intelligent, but who can also be a little wild and out there. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there for me. But yeah, she she does she does do the, the role justice. She definitely does add add a little bit of sophistication, I guess you could say, to, to mm-hmm. Roy there at the beginning to get him motivated. Um, so I think she's highly needed. I was I was looking at just kind of out of curiosity, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about this later. But some of the female uh, leads that Costner's got to play alongside. It's pretty interesting who's on his list. Uh, so he, he's got, you know, we talked about Susan Sarandon last week. Kelly Preston, who recently deceased Whitney Houston. Janine Triplehorn in Waterworld. Joan Allen. Jennifer Aniston. Oh, yeah. Randomly, I, I came across. And then uh, I forget. Mary the, Steenberg in Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few that are just kind of like blew me away. But yeah, it's true. I, th- I thought she was great. I, I actually... I saw a lot of similarities between um, Dr. Griswold and Annie Savoy from Bull Durham because she was caught in a love triangle again, as you mentioned, right? And that, I wonder if that's part of Shelton's kind of one of his things that he involves in a lot of his writing. I mean, I, I don't think there was in White Men Can't Jump, but at least in these two movies, they, they, they draw that parallel. It's There's a tactic a, that works. It does work pretty well, yeah. Like it... Just it, a broader audience too, right? Yeah. Like again, this is one of those ones you could watch with the misses or, or your significant other while you're sitting there on, you know, having a date night kind of thing. This is a good one. Yeah, totally absolutely. Is. Yeah, and it's uh, it makes for good comedy too, because if you think of all the, there's some really good comedic things that come out of the scenes where Nuke and Crash are getting at it in Bull Durham, and same same as here with Sims, Sims and McAvoy. Sims and McAvoy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I thought I thought that that was pretty good. No, I thought Renee Russo did a great job. She played uh, Doctor Griswold as an interesting character, tied a lot of things together, helped Roy get through some tough stuff, and then also helped him melt down at times. But yeah. as you as you alluded to, maybe not the best uh, shrink for him, but who knows? I was really really hoping when they the first time I remember seeing this that. When they announced their name being Griswold, that you might get a Clark Griswold cameo, maybe. That's maybe the first thing I thought maybe of. Maybe Cousin Eddie comes flying in, you know, in his own Winnebago. <laughs> Part would have been if he'd lost his Winnebago in a bet to Sims, and he didn't have one anymore. And like him and Romeo are standing out in the rain with their umbrellas, and all of a sudden Cousin Eddie shows up and goes, "You fellas look like you need a place to stay. <laughs> Hop in. Don't worry about snots. He'd yeah. put the spa on the roof of it or something. Yeah." yeah. Uh, that would have been great. The it's not yakking on a. And bone. Molly would be like, oh, "I called my cousin. It's the least I could do." You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just tie that in there. That's you know? pretty funny. All right, let's talk about Romeo Posar, played by Cheech Marin. What a great guy! Fantastic. That's a guy you want to be friends with. This is a guy. I I, I don't even know if he's acting. I don't think McAvoy's alive if it isn't for this guy. Hundred percent. He keeps no. him he's alive dead. and straight. He, but I don't even know if Cheech is ditch. acting. Is this not just Cheech all the time? 
<laughs> he seems like a great guy. You're like, this guy's the he's best. He's just a beauty. Yeah. He's just an absolute beauty. I said, how do you not like him? I, you know, the quotes, his approach, he keeps him on, on a serious note. He keeps him on the, the straight and narrow. He's obviously yep. a very good friend. Um, in Roy's trust issues, he doesn't have a lot of trust. So he does have trust in Romeo. Um, the bond they have is pretty cool to see. The fight they have with the, you know, on the seven iron episode, uh, the seven iron scene, uh, the fight that ensues, you can tell that there is a love between Roy and Romeo. And it even goes into the Winnebago, that scene where he's sleeping and beside Dr. Griswold and then Romeo's sleeping beside him. <laughs> mean, it doesn't get much better than that. If you're going to stand out in the rain while uh, Roy gets gets his nut off, then, you know, you're a pretty good friend. That is a team player right there. <laughs> he's an absolute team player. And it looks like you shanked one there, though. You asked for a mulligan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> an absolute great guy. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he, he's hilarious, right? Like, yeah. he's the comic relief that you need in this movie. Um, I don't know, again, I don't know who else you could have play this part um, that would do it justice. I'm sure there would be somebody that could fill it, you know, like, not to sound stereotypical, but I could see, like, John Leguizamo playing this part. Or... You know what's funny? He was considered for the role. Was oh, he really? Yeah. It's funny that you said that because he was, uh, it, I think it came down to the two of them and they ended up going with Cheech. Yeah, I, I mean, just the... You know, he's got the smart alecky comments. I think where where Cheech would probably do it a little bit more justice is that Cheech, despite his uh, fame and infamy for other things, you know, uh, seems to me like he'd be a little bit more of a sensitive guy. At least he comes across that way. So there are a few moments in the movie where he has to be a little bit more sensitive. Uh, and I think he probably would pull that off more than Leguizamo. So yeah. maybe that was the His reason. passion's important, though, because Roy has no passion. So his passion to me is like, comes on to Roy and helps Roy realize have a passion for something like yeah. some emotion so to speak yeah Roy has a passion for the golf swing and then it ends there pretty much pretty much <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah he was great I thought uh how about uh, David Sims played by Don Johnson again I mean he's just so smug uh and I know there were probably other guys again that they they had him come out for him but like you gotta hate him because he's the the quote-unquote villain if you will in the in the love triangle but God, like he just plays it so well. You can't um, hate a guy that's got flow like that, though. No, he's got sick some flow, great sick flow. flow. And the fact that he, you know, he hates dogs and old people. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so over the top. But I mean, you know, Don Johnson, fantastic in this role too. I mean, the only other, you, like, when I think of like a guy that would be like your prototypical villain, it's him, like maybe like Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson, fantastic. Uh, I don't know if, if there would be somebody else that I could I could cast in this particular role. J. I loved to hate him in this movie. Yeah. What a great guy. What a great role. Great acting. Not a bad golfer. He did all his own shots. Yeah. He's not that bad of a golfer. No, not at all. Uh, like I said earlier, the, the visor to me put it over the top. But you see that giant, big, huge visor, Infinity, like a smug automobile too. That smug smile, the hair. He's kind of Miami Vice, about to be Nash Bridges. And then yes. he Which picked he played Cheech. Cheech. Yeah. That's where he got Cheech from. He yeah. said, hey, you're going to come do Nash Bridges with me. And he basically was Nash Bridges, like, setting up for this character, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, everything about him when he beat him in the par, uh, the seven iron, where he's like, I'm good. Just a condescending. He, he had that, like, shit-eating grin on his face, oh. that condescending thing. And, and there was, he always did something that was, like, kind, but it was in a condescending way. 100%. Calculated. Very calculated. Very calculated, right? Like, he was doing Roy a favor by coming to get him, you know, he got his hopes up, mm -hmm. making him, he did it on purpose to make him think, I need you to 
be on my team play with me in this tournament and then he drops it that no you're caddying for me like you're not playing i can't bring you here like you know what i mean like clearly knowing that in college roy this guy couldn't carry roy's bag in college pretty much right like even sims admitted that and on the bet um when he was caddying for him how he's pretending to care and yeah. then meanwhile, he's like, you're fired. Right away. Yeah. But we're on the boys. He's like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. I mean, right away. Yeah, you're fired, by the way. I, I Epic love meltdown scene there, too, when he starts <laughs> chucking the clubs everywhere. <laughs> and then, but the fact that he pulls the random guy out for his new caddy, like, great. pick it up. Pick yeah. it up. <laughs> that was awesome. If you do any research, you quickly find, you know, this cast seemed to have gotten along pretty well. A lot of tight friends, yeah. Which we'll get into later. There's, yeah. um, I imagine, I was going to say, I imagine Costner and Johnson were running around Hollywood together in the eighties. Yeah. Oh, I think they had a good time. I think they had a good time. Yeah, they were actually pretty tight. And we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later on as we go. But yeah, there's some there's a reason they were uh, they were just played off each other so well. Um, so those are kind of the main characters in this. Did anybody else st- else stand out for you in the show? Like. Yeah, the um, her name is slipping me right now, but the ex girlfriend stripper. Thank you. Oh, what a character! She's she was, classic. She Texas. was great. Big she's, hair. Everything's fake. Big hair. Big lips. Big nails. You're like, oh, I loved that lady as a character. She was really important. She helped with the whole Winnebago, and then all of a sudden, have you ever had a Latin lover You're like this lady? She's just a Dolly awesome. Parton wannabe, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, she Dolly, had a coat of many Dolly colors. Partner on a, Dolly Parton on a budget. Yes, that's true. Oh, that is very that's true. <laughs> but right away, she kind of gave that movie. You saw the other characters. Then when you added her onto the entourage of Roy, so to speak, Gosh. it was just like, okay, this is this is a show. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, some of the cameos, obviously, the golf guys were great. Earl, right? That he gets the caddy for him in one of the qualifiers. He's dying. He can't, even finish, can't even finish the round. He ch- Tosses it in after 14. <laughs> With this TCU t-shirt. TCU t-shirt. Yeah. I noticed. I like, oh, so, I mean. Out and there. I know he's he's played that, like, you know, uh, prototypical, I'll say, for lack of a better term, white trash kind of guy. Oh, yeah. In he was in so, Son-in-Law. Do you remember that movie? With yeah, Paul Shore? Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's played that role before. So, it's obviously, it's fitting for him. But, uh, you know, I guess he stands out for that for me. But not not anybody over the top. The, the one guy that, that I really liked um, was the CBS producer that was in the truck. He was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he was great. He was, I actually looked him up. He's actually, he played himself. His name is uh, Frank Cherkinian. And he's, pa- he's passed away a little while back. But he was well known as the father of golf television. So he's the guy that kind of made golf on TV kind of exciting to watch or interesting to watch i would say tiger made the golf on tv interesting yeah yeah exactly and and that's probably you know around the time when cbs was really starting to push that or cbs cbs was trying to push it he was hilarious though in those scenes like heroes is what i need not obscure driving range pros and he's just like getting frustrated when roy's making his run and he's just like this this tin this tin head tin man tin cup who is this like he was getting frustrated the shot off the uh porta potty yeah (laughs) what's he doing he's telling gary what's he doing what what's he doing right now he's just getting so frustrated with him the whole time like just hand and face oh Oh, that guy that guy killed me and he was playing himself he did a good job with that the other one i also thought you know to go back to Jim Nance, that voice. If you go through your day and think of, imagine Jim Nance narrating your day. Oh, amazing. Jordan's up. He's, he drinks a coffee. Goes back for a second. Oh, little spill. 
cleaned up quickly. Could you imagine if you take Jim Nance as you narrate your day or a personal, our own personal rounds of golf? Would you rather? Would you rather have Jim Nance, Vin Scully, or the combination of Pat Summerall and John Madden narrating your day? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, Depends the mood you're in, I guess. Eh? John Madden to be pretty funny. See that there? There's a large Tim Hortons. That's a large. No cream. <laughs> See, what he did here was he hit the A-gap, and he was gone. He had his double-double and a crueler, and watch him go. Vince Gully, your day would be, here's the car. Started down the way. Speaking of cars, you know, I don't know. There's Jordan Reed, 5'10", 180 pounds, coming to the table. He's going to eat his muffin now. <laughs> I think I'm going to go Nance. Oh, I think Nance. I mean, for Nance is like an all-time classic. Oh, yeah. Does he get Tony Romo, though? Because Romo learns your tendencies now. Yeah. He's going for the creamer. Romer, He's taking Rom- the creamer. Yeah, Romo would know what's going on, for sure. Romo would be able to dictate your morning before you would. <laughs> yeah, he would know everything. Class. Throw, I, I would have thrown Gus Johnson in there, but he would have probably given you a heart attack. He's so, so over the top. Gus Johnson. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into the love interest hotness slash man rocket scale. So let's rate the, uh, let, what do we got for man rocket in this one? We got Costner again. He plays a slightly different, but very, very similar to Bull Durham. He's still handsome. Oh, yeah. He's still very handsome in this. The, hi- the hair is getting a bit thinner. You can see thinner. it. But he pulls it off. He pulls it off. Wardrobe is very similar. Wardrobe, Linen glasses pants. are similar. Great car. Fantastic car. That Great he loses car. in a bet. That he does lose in and a gets bet. It back. The whole shtick of not caring has to get him some points. Yeah. He's got the linen pants, so he loves the linen pants. Is that yeah. do you think that that's a Costner thing? Because or is Wardrobe literally just making his outfit and he or do you think he's at a level where he's like, I'm gonna i I'm gonna kinda pick my outfit for these these scenes? I feel like it's probably wardrobe for the movie, to be yeah. quite honest. It's just the sign of the times, right? Like they all had those like bigger slacks. They're they baggy. Pleats. They're yeah. baggy. Linen the pants with the pleats. Yeah. They're pretty baggy. When he's bending down to read a putt, he keeps having to pull them up. You just don't see that. Oh, yeah. You know, it helps him with his short golf swing. It does. I I think he's still he's still a handsome guy in this show and he pulls off a lot of things. He is different than Crash Davis, though. He has his moments. He does have his moments. He has some charm. Yeah, as Rene Russo said, he has his moments. He does have his moments. He has some charm. He, he's a good-looking guy. He's handsome. Yeah. I'll put it in. Yeah, I'll he's a man him. rocket, I think. He is. Yeah, he's we'll still a man that. rocket. What about Rene Russo? What are we ranking her? Ooh. Rene Russo is beautiful. Yeah. She she's, has... She's got the je ne sais quoi. She, she looked the good intelligence in factor, right? She, yeah. put, she does that smart, sexy thing. Yeah. Her hair in the in the U.S. Open at the end looked really good. Yeah. Um, She's standing she, next to Doreen, which helps because Doreen ca- help, kind of elevates her. Because yeah. you're like, oh, God, if you had to pick one of those two at a bar. That's a no-brainer. You know what? She does an excellent job, and she's beautiful in this movie. I don't think that's even a question. No. no. Yeah, and when I was, again, looking at some of those leading ladies we talked about earlier that Costner's had, she ranks higher up there on the list for me than uh, quite a few of them. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, she's definitely... Uh, Smoke show worthy. I, I after the champagne scene in uh, Thomas Crown Affair, you can't unsee that. And mm-hmm. Once you've seen that, yeah. mm-hmm. that's Rene Russo in your mind. You know, like you're like, okay, she's got that level. Yeah, she really does. I even had people who asked me, they're like, Jordan, what movie are you doing next? And I said, Well, we're doing Tin Cup. And I've had males, females, all say, Oh wow, Rene Russo right away. Good for you. That was the first thing said by yep by everyone. Yeah, absolutely. All right, realism. 
how was it? Like, let's talk about the story. Was the story real? And then we'll get into the golf scenes after that. Was the story real? The story has a chance. The story is, it could happen for sure. And he has the background. He was an NCAA champion. So the guy has the pedigree. He's been working on his swing, working at this range. He's just been a mess. Yeah, all he does is golf. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, realism in this movie for sure with respect to the golf. The the, the mm-hmm. pathway to get to the U.S. Open is something that actually exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that is, you know, the mental aspect of golf is 100% there, right? And how it can uh, affect you. The gambling. I mean, everybody's yeah. played. Oh, the side bets are all oh, that's that's pure truth. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Classic. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's... The, the thing that also stuck out to me is, you know, the go-to club. You know, for Roy, it's a 7-iron. Everybody's yeah. got a go-to club. 100%. Bag, Absolutely. Mine's right? actually a 7, I think, too. 3 hybrid. Three. Yeah, you, you do like your 3 hybrid. I love a 3 hybrid. A couple 5-woods couple, uh, five off the uh, just off From the, the fringe. From the fringe, too. 5-wood from the fringe? Yeah, mine's my 8-iron. But still, yeah, everybody's yeah. got a club. It's usually those later irons. So, you know, there's a lot of reality there. Um, and again, yeah, just the, the mental aspect of it. 100% accurate, I would think. The point you made of the side bets. I would love to hear some of those side oh, bets God, that yeah. go on. Well, that I happens mean, all the time. Tiger and Phil, right? The yeah. match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's a lot of that goes on for sure. Or the idea, yeah, of trying to carry the water or do I lay up? It happened today. Yeah. 100%. Like I went through that today. Yeah. And do I try to hit it over and it didn't work? But you're going for it. Yeah. Even the though. idea of getting your brain getting in the way it happens all the time on the course, right? Oh, you overthink things. Mm-hmm. Says, so many mental. Play. The whole point about the shanks and stuff, all of that oh. was super realistic. I thought, hundred percent. I'm oh. like David Duvall, totally been there. Yeah, everybody's been there, and you've at seen some it. Point you've seen it on the big scale. You've seen it in the PGA guys. Yeah. You, there's, uh, you know, oh, you see it in any sport. You see it like Steve Sachs or Max Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch can't make that throw. Throw it to first or oh yeah, that's the catcher Lester. John Lester throwing to first base. Yeah. yeah. Guys taking giant leads off that guy because they know he won't throw. Yeah. So the one, the one problem I did have, mm-hmm. and I, we kind of talked a little bit about this before, uh, the seven iron bet and <laughs> and Roy talking about how he hit a seven iron 227 or 200, yeah, 227 yards. So I, I towed it. And he towed <laughs> it. That's right. So I did a little research. Uh, and I looked up, you know, I, I, you guys would consider Dustin Johnson probably the biggest hitter on tour. Oh yeah. So yes, Dustin Johnson, there's a video out there. You guys can YouTube it. Uh, on average will hit most pros, but on, on, on average hit their seven iron, 180 to 200 yards. So he's six, four and about 190. Costner's listed at six, one and 180, uh, and not a pro. And you're trying to tell me that this guy who just basically got off the couch is going to hit a, a, a seven iron two twenty seven. He's a legendary striker of the golf. He's ball. a ball striker. <laughs> ball. Having seen Dustin Johnson live and in person, that guy is a legend of striking the ball yeah. as well. The idea of what? How many drops did he take to try to clear the water in the final scene? I mean, like, come on. Like, would you? With the, I mean, it has happened because I think. When I was doing some research, Gary McCord, apparently they based all of that whole scenario where he keep, kept dropping balls off of uh, Gary McCord's actually happened to him in a pro tournament, which does it's just baffling. But I guess if you're like, I could see John Daly doing that, right? Like he's, had, he's had some classic meltdowns. Like, would you do that in the U.S. Open? No. Maybe, maybe, maybe you try the first shot because you're like, 
you know, he had it in his head. He wanted to be the first guy to finish the lowest round in the major. Juices are flowing. Absolutely. He's making a bit of a run. He's feeling it. And you know what? He's, yeah, okay, let's try it. But if you don't, we'll take your drop, make your power, win in a playoff. Or make your, or whatever, and make it, we'll win in a playoff. Too much money on the line. With life-changing money. Yeah. Yeah. Too much money on the line not to. Like, this is a guy that couldn't scrabble together 12 grand at the beginning to pay off Doreen. Uh, classy lady that she is and uh like and remember he he was he came up he, the deed was going to be 10 grand he still owed her two and that was a big deal for him so if you if you're like stressing out about two grand and you're about to what well, well, and i did check it out. i'm pretty sure the amateurs can take a purse in the majors because it's open so what would he have made there maybe half a mil oh yeah Plus his title as sponsor that's going to follow. Maybe slightly under, but we're talking about a few hundred grand. Like plus, that's he gets, plus he has to return life. and play the next year. Too. Guys, he lives in a Winnebago. And I don't I don't know what the real estate market's like in Salome, Texas, which is a made-up town. <laughs> it's not an actual town in Texas. But I'm, I'll tell you right now, West Texas real estate, you're not branking the He's going to be able to buy a house outright, probably, you know, and, and have tons left over, like. You're fine. Like this is going to change your life. Not not to mention, like if you win the major, I think you get an exemption for the rest of your life, basically for the U.S. Open, as long as you're. Well, Mike Weir still no, plays the Masters. No, it? it wears out after a certain does time. It? Oh, does Weir's, it? Okay. Weirsy's lost his Masters exemption. Yeah. Okay, he's played okay. a long time out of that. But you have to think of the life changing money, the sponsorship deals that follow. Yeah. And like, it would have been a, a lit of fire under his ass to get going. Like, absolutely. hey, you can do this now. You can go and run, have a nice ten year run on the on the and make millions on the PGA Tour. Exactly, but he just doesn't care. But that's part of the thing we talked like about. Like you said, care. all he cares about is his golf swing. No, I wouldn't have liked the movie if he if he did uh, just taking the easy road and, and all the easy stuff, right? That that's not him. That's no. not the character, no. right? Yeah, yeah, there's no movie if you don't have if you have the guy who just lays up and chips oh, over and parts. It is too corny. Like, yeah, you know, it'd be an cliche. okay movie, a cliche movie. Yeah, you gotta have that. Yeah, yeah. it's like totally. in uh, Dumb and Dumber when uh, they get to the end and you know. <laughs> <laughs> they get that the, the bus full of girls shows up and uh, we're on our way to a bikini contest and we need three t- oil boys or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, the town's back that Do way. Do you realize what you've done? <laughs> like they had to screw that up. Apparently, that was written in the movie too that it, they were going to get on the bus, and then apparently Jim Carrey says no. Like these guys, all movie have been kicking themselves in the you know, shooting themselves in the foot. We can't have it like that, right? Yeah. How about his clubs? Ooh. Okay, you're not going to be using like the 1960s clubs at the U.S. Open. You're telling Ooh. me he can't. He did he get them out of Hawk. He, did, yeah. he got them out of Hawk. But he, let's say he qualifies for the tournament. Somebody's not going to step up and get him some proper clubs. Yeah. Like he doesn't have any connections like to get some clubs. The University of Houston maybe give you something. Uh, well, that's how or... many bridges did he burn on the way out? I feel, oh, I feel yeah. like though if he showed up at the U.S. Open with the clubs that he had, like. Somebody from the tournament, maybe it's like CBS or whatever, would have been like, no, you, we got to get you something proper here. One of the other golfers, like, they probably have backups. They would have just been like, hey, man, take, you can't use those. It's embarrassing. He still had better head covers than you, though, Jamer. I'm not. <laughs> Don't you make fun of my. I got him. I got three head cutters for a dollar, Miami Dolphins, when they went 0 16. Folks, Jamie has a Miami Dolphins head cover from a year the football team went 0 and 16. Who has a Miami Dolphins head hey. cover outside of Dade County? It's a great, Dicka. it's a great icebreaker when you get on the course with someone you haven't played with. You before. drop it all the time in the fairway, though. I know. I want you to pick it <laughs> up. I always have to pick it up. I'm like, there's a lost head cover. Yeah, it's Jamie's Miami Dolphin head cover. Anyway, I wanted to add that in. 
Yeah. As for playing that John Fogarty song. Hey, you love John Fogarty. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I want to get into some of the quotes now. There were some classic Ooh. quotes. And I'm going to start <laughs> off this segment. I'm going to start this segment off with a, with a classic quote from the movie. You know, look, I, I tend to process things verbally. So do you think you could break down into words how you just did that? <laughs> I mean, what is the... What is the golf swing by Roy McAvoy? Well, I tend to think of the golf swing as a poem. Oh, he's doing that poetry thing again. Critical opening phrase of this poem will always be the grip, which the hands unite to form a single unit by the simple overlap of the finger. Right. And lowly and slowly, the club head is led back, pulled into position, not by the hands, but by the body, which turns away from the target, shifting weight to the right side without shifting balance. Tempo is everything, perfection unattainable. As the body coils now to the top of the swing, there's a slight hesitation, a little nod to the gods. A, a nod to the gods? Yeah, to the gods, that he is fallible, that perfection is unattainable, and now the weight begins shifting back to the left, pulled by the powers inside the earth. It's alive, this swing, a living sculpture, and down through contact, always down. Striking the ball crisply, with character. A tuning fork goes off in your heart, your balls. Such a pure feeling as the well-struck golf shot. And then the follow-through to finish. Always online. The reverse C of the golden bear. The steelworker's power and brawn of Carl Sandberg's Arnold Palmer. Oh, he's doing that Arnold Palmer thing. <laughs> and the unfinished symphony of... Roy McAvoy. Um, what, what's unfinished? Well, I have a short follow-through. It has an unfinished look. Why? Well, some say it's because that's the easiest way to play through the winds of West Texas, and some say it's because I've never finished anything in my life. You can decide, but the point is, every finishing position is unique. That's what the golf swing's all about. <laughs> it's about gaining control of your life and letting go at the same time. Jeez Louise. <laughs> There's only one other acceptable theory about how to hit a golf ball. Oh, boy. Well, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> well, what is it? What's the other theory? Grip it and rip it. The best, for me anyways, is the follow-up line after that where... Uh, Griswold goes to hit her first shot, misses it, drops an F-bomb shit, and then Tin Cup adds, these are highly technical golf terms you're using for your first lesson. This is promising. Like, I cracked up so hard when I saw that. And I mean, you know, as a a gentleman who likes to use colorful language himself from time to time out there on the course, uh, it it resonates, that's for sure. The quote I have is actually... uh, at a different, totally different spot than this. It was when he was on the line uh, at practice at the U.S. Open, and uh, Cheech goes, "These are brand new titleists." That to me is realistic. Put them in your bag. We would do exactly the same thing. Put them <laughs> in the bag. Ones. We would all do that. If we oh. saw a bucket of Pro V ones, yeah. we would load those things. I've in got a couple bags. of them. Ones from the Masters. Oh, perfect! Like I got like, tour balls. Oh yeah, oh, they're excellent. really they're Pro Vs. Yeah. They're, they're nice. They have the emblem on it. We would Sweet. load those into our bag. I feel that was a realistic point back to the realism too, where you yeah. see these things, you're like, this isn't a practice ball. It doesn't have that red stripe that goes 35 <laughs> yards. It, these things are fantastic. That, I, I know it sounds crazy. To me, that was like uh, my favorite quote of the whole movie. I howled when I heard that. That one's awesome. Yeah. 
I had another one that I really liked too. Is uh, <laughs> Romeo had some great ones on oh, yeah. like under his breath quotes? They're hilarious. One of them I really liked was uh, when uh, McAvoy's about. I think it was like day two or three where he's gonna hit the ball in the water again, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going for it, and then he says, "This is for uh, Venturi up in the booth who thinks I should lay up." Hilarious. And then, and then Romeo goes, "Yeah, what does he know? He only won this tournament before you were born." <laughs> <laughs> Class. <laughs> or uh, we tell Dave Sims keep shooting pars and I'll take 18 of them and then do it and I'll own you. Yes. That's yeah. a great that sequence. That was a great moment. Gauntlet has yeah. been laid. Yeah, really well done. There. Really well done. And he gets the girl in the end. So yeah. for going sometimes for par it. won't do it. He went for it. Yeah. Whereas David went par. I mean, there's a lot to be said in there. You could look through it. Definitely uh, Romeo, to me, kind of stole the quote department. Yeah. And kind of just took it. And he just, classics. if you listen really close, you hear, like like you said, the muttering under the breath or saying it really quickly. You're like, this guy's great. Yeah, he's got some good ones. Oh, yeah, for sure. Unreal. Yeah, there was, uh, what was the one, too? When, <laughs> after, he, after he wins, or he, qualif- he has that one qualifying round where he breaks all his clubs or whatever. And uh, he goes, <laughs> and he's getting his beers after, and they're, they're on the patio, and he's like, uh, what do you think my best shot of the day? Was it on six or was it on 12? Uh, what, what was that? I think it was the seven iron. What about that one on 14? It was a tough shot there. What was that? I believe it was a seven iron. He just starts going through <laughs> that. This cockiness. Or he talks about a mulligan in bed. I'm yeah. like, That's pretty funny. <laughs> How about all the, the, like the cliches, like the over usage of golf metaphors throughout the movie too? Oh, 100%. wild. Yeah. I mean, it was to the point where it was annoying, but it was just like, there's this guy, right? Like, this is what he's done. It needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty funny. It gave him it's kind on of... on brand for Roy. It is yeah. on brand. Very true. It gave another, like, bit to the character where it's like, I don't want to say a character flaw, but it was just part of him that... It's all he has. Right? Yeah. He's just 100%. got a few things in his bag, so to speak. Yeah. That's yeah. all he has. He has golf. Just golf on the brain all so the time. So, when you say brand, it's 100% true. Yeah. It's just, that's what he does. He has nothing else. He lives in a Winnebago with a blow-up pool. <laughs> That's a Come spa. It's a, it's sorry, spa. guys. It's a spa. My bad. <laughs> sorry, folks. All right. Let's get into some little-known facts about the movie. So here's a kind of a neat one. Pierce Brosnan and Dennis Quaid were both offered the role of David Sims before Don Johnson ended up taking it. What Pierce Bronson would be all right. Yep. He played kind of a prick on uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. He was a good prick on Mrs. Stuart. Doubtfire. Oh, Stuart. It's a run by fruiting. Yeah. Everybody cracked on that. <laughs> anytime I have uh, anytime I have cayenne pepper now, I, I think of him. Remember he had that scene where he couldn't have any cayenne? I love cayenne pepper. It's a lot easier if you just work with me. Yeah. Yeah. Pierce me okay. No to Quaid. No? I don't know. It wouldn't do it for me. I'd take Don Johnson over Quaid. Pierce, oh, yeah. Pierce Bronson I would take. Yeah, I think he would I feel fun. like Brosnan would have to play like uh, you could have brought in like the the uh, weird European angle too, right? Like you could have had sure. a, the the traditional golfer that was like very like Monty, astute. yeah, very kind of <laughs> yeah. like Monty, like, yeah, yeah. Like Charles Howell, yeah, kind of like very uppity, yeah, yeah, for sure. That, I, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. And then we mentioned earlier about John Leguizamo. I think he would have done a great job. Uh, I think you nailed it. Like that was the, mm. kind of the only other guy that would have yeah, really he's played the, the role. The only well. guy that kind of comes to mind. It was interesting that he was he was considered for that role. It's such a niche role. Yeah, that's a tough one to fill. I think they 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 hit a home run on that one. Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was this interesting article that I read, and it was called "An Oral History of Tin Cup" by Chris Nashawati. 
And it was a really great article. It had some really cool interviews with some of the characters. He did it, like, I want to say maybe, like, four years ago it came out. But he did some, like, follow-up interviews with some of these guys years later. And they and they had some classic stories. And, and one of the cool things was Gary McCord was in the movie. And obviously he was, pre- he was a former golfer and a golf announcer now, right? Um, and he's always got fun banter with uh, uh, David Faraday. They have yep. that fun stuff going on. And I thought he was great in the movie. Like, I thought he mm-hmm. had some classic. And he was in the movie quite a bit. Yeah. Like, all through that second half when they were at the U.S. Open, he played a pretty prominent role. Apparently, he was hired on as a technical advisor to help Costner and Johnson with their swings. And uh, apparently, uh, Ron Shelton and his other co-writer wanted the movie to look as authentic as possible. So, they had uh, Costner and Johnson Johnson go through swing lessons with uh, Gary McCord. And apparently Johnson was a, like a fairly good golfer. Costner didn't really golf much. I think he just golfed occasionally. But apparently Johnson was pretty, like he had an eight or nine handicap. But then they said that Gary McCord changed his swing around and he couldn't break 100 for the first week after he had worked with him to revamp it. But then about three weeks into the film, he started seeing massive improvements and he ended up getting down to a three. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Not like, too shabby. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. and apparently... Uh, it wasn't as easy to work with Costner on his swing because his swing uh, was really short. He had a short finish on it, and Gary McCord kept working hard to try to lengthen the finish on it to make it look more professional. But it, but they just couldn't get Costner to do it. He'd always revert back to the short finish. And finally, uh, Shelton just said, let's write it into the script. And I think that it really worked well, especially like he talks about it in the mon- monologue, the unfinished swing of Roy, uh, the unfinished the Un- symphony. Symphony of Roy McAvoy. And I think it, it was perfect to be written into it because he never, and he says, some say it's best to play through the winds of West Texas. Others say it's because I never finished anything in my life. Which is pretty good because that's Roy, right? Like, he, mm-hmm. does, he never finishes anything. He's unfinished. Like, he's unpolished. I thought that was a really kind of cool thing how they wrote that into the script. Uh, another one, the, the, the remember the trick shot in the bar at the U.S. Open where he knocks the pelican off the thing? Apparently that's based on a real story mm-hmm. from Gary McCord uh, that happened during a rain out at a tournament in Pensacola. So that's pretty cool. I was I remember watching that scene and trying to think, okay, is this realistic? Like, could he hit this shot? I mean, based on where he was in the bar, it'd be you'd have to hit that pretty well perfectly. You'd have to hood it and like yeah, you're I mean, hitting a narrow fairway. You're hitting order. a hooded one for sure. But yeah, that's pretty. You got to be super online. That's for sure. He's had a couple cocktails. Oh, yeah. like, and it's got to carry with right? a narrow it's gotta, gallery. With, it's oh, gotta, yeah. it's, so you're gonna have some heat coming off of it because it's gonna have to carry the water to hit the, oh, yeah. the pelican. I, I think oh, yeah. he had. A, I think Costner. I don't think anybody else could have made it because Costner was used to using old clubs, and he had to it's use true. that wooden shaft club to hit it. And Sims <laughs> pulled that club out. You're like, oh boy, here yeah. we go. I found a funny fact on Josh Burhau's article, Tin Cup Oral History: Seven Facts. On fact, is it fact four? He talks about PGA players wanted big bucks for their clients. Yeah. Did you guys hear about this? Yeah. Wanted big bucks for their clients to appear in the movie as much as 50 grand. So in return, Shelton uh, had the basically went through the wives and gave the wives a chance Smart to have move. dinner with Don Johns and Kevin Costner. And they all jumped at it. And then he paid them like $35 a day stand-in fees or something. You're like, that is well played. Yeah, very well. They played. got the SAG minimum. Golf clap was, uh, on that one. That's brilliant. Bucks. 
he saves so much money by doing that by using has we we well in our man rocket thing we gave him some credit or we gave costner credit yeah they had 35 35 pga players four u.s open winners and they got the sag minimum which was 600 bucks a day and that's just <laughs> well played that's a good budget move right there it's classic there was another uh, story where I think it was Cheech Marin talking about it, and it was in that uh, article that I read by uh, Chris Mashawati. So Cheech Marin said, we were between scenes standing around, and someone came up with a bet. There was this really tall pine tree, and someone said to Phil Mickelson, I bet you can't put your shoulder against the tree, drop a ball, and hit it over the tree. The shot basically had to go straight up in the air. Everybody threw in 100 bucks, So there was like 1200 in the pot, and then he did it. And when the ball was still in the air, Mickelson bent over, picked up the money, and stuffed it in his pocket and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Mickelson, eh? What a cool guy. I mean, are we really surprised? No. The guy's wedge play is unreal. Incredible. I'd heard I'd played hockey with a guy that grew up in uh, Flagstaff and knew, I think he knew Mickelson's younger brother. I don't know if they played golf at a college together down there or something but he said he heard he, he was telling these classic stories about how mickelson used to have his younger brother stand with a grocery bag out like this and and mickelson would stand back behind him and hit flop shots over his shoulder and land them in the grocery bag wow like just and like the brother didn't even flinch because he's just like this is what he does like Jesus. pretty classic you have headphones in while it's going over so we were talking about uh don johnson and those guys so Apparently, leading into this movie, Don Johnson and Kevin Costner were actually really tight, good mm-hmm. buddies. So they'd talked about it, and apparently, Costner what didn't he wanted to take a break from movies for a while because he'd done quite a bit, right, through the oh, '80s, wow. early '90s, things like that. Oh yeah. But apparently, Ron was like, "Well, I'm going to drop the script off to you, take give it a read. You know, you don't have to commit to anything. I know you want to take a break." So apparently, he read the script and he's like, "No, I want in on this." And apparently, him and Don had been talking, and Don had somebody. Shelton had given Don Johnson the script as well, so they they were both excited to do the movie. Apparently, Don Johnson had a, a rental house nearby where they were doing it, and they used to have shakers every Friday night. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I love so, it. So uh, Cheech Marin was telling the story that, and it was in this article about how Friday nights all hell would break loose at, at uh, Don Johnson's place, and anytime we had a Saturday shoot after Friday nights at Don's. It wasn't good. He says, one particular Saturday shoot was in front of about 5,000 extras watching as they were doing the scenes for the final round of the U.S. Open. Uh, McCord said Cheech and Kevin couldn't see straight. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the extras should have worn helmets or else they would have been killed. So Gary McCord said they got the extra, uh, they, they pulled out these extra long tees and had them hit every ball off these extra long tees. And he just said to them, It's like T-ball. He basically said to them, I don't care what you do, just hit them straight in the air. So he, he had them hit the ball straight in the air, and then they would have somebody else come in and hit the shot, and then they would have the finishing <laughs> shot being like one of the pros doing it or something that like that. Because he says they'd hit it in the air, and the ball would land like five fairways over. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. So like your normal swing, JR. That just like That's called uh, Wednesday morning at 6.52 a.m. tea time. Of course, of course Cheech, Cheech would have a few party favors, no doubt, at the, uh, at the oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was, I was laughing. I was like, because I watched the movie before I read that article, and I was trying to think back to like I, th- I thought when I was watching the movie, like Costner looked pretty, pretty haggard, like oh, on the like the in U.S. That last Open round. for sure. Yeah, he looked haggard in the, in those scenes. Oh, uh, I think some good times were had at that rental house. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How about the advice that uh, Romeo gave him to get drunk the night before the first round? 
I mean, I think we've all been there, right? You, everybody plays better when they're loose, so to speak. You're, yeah. you're taking that mental aspect out of it. Now to get loaded and then play like, hungover. Fall down drunk. Hey, hungover the next day, that's a whole other story. I think yeah. you went a little far. I think yeah. there's that idea of maybe playing a little rough the next day. And it's kind of, like you're guilty. loose. Yeah, you're playing guilty, so to speak. You kind of, yeah, you're playing guilty. And your mind's almost on how do I get through this round as opposed to golf shots? Because he doesn't want him thinking. He talks about that. He's yeah, like, don't no. stop thinking. Yeah. Because golf's one of those sports. And you start thinking, oh boy, you want to go instinct and rhythm, so to speak. But yeah, I think maybe like, it's, it looked like he teed off pretty early though, right? Oh, yeah. He no, would have been early because he would have first been, tee time. He's at he was seven yeah, one. He something. wouldn't have been like one of the marquee guys. So no. they usually they shove those guys off. The like amateurs that are just qualifying, they'd be the first off. He's getting a seven thirty or, yeah. or something like He's that. He's not getting prime TV time. That's it, for sure. So no. it'd be tough to like try and get up and have a couple beers before you go. But you, I mean, it's tin cup. I'm sure he's done it. Yeah. You're drinking hard liquor too. Yeah, the yeah. brown brown booze, so to speak. Shots are down. Oh, he's taking shots. Four hours. Yeah. And then falls down. Like, Oof. yeah, I think he was to the point. And also, like, he, I think he said you tee off in four hours. Yeah, right that's too close. That's cutting it too close. Way too close. Yeah. So I, I think that was bad advice, and he, that puts him in a hole. If that doesn't happen, this he might be running away with the tournament. Yeah, the eighty three that, that ensues. Being said, he does have the shanks, right? So he's getting them out of his head. I mean, that'll get the shanks. He's trying because at that point. The only thing you're worried about is getting over your hangover. Yeah, yeah. You it's you are playing not loose anything else. because your head's throbbing. Yeah. You're kind of tired and groggy, and you just want this to end. What does he end up shooting like an 82? 83. 83? Yeah, yeah. Here's bad a, day. Here's a question for you boys: How bad would that RV smell after everybody's oh sleeping in there after being at the waffle? His house? whole crew. And you know they were crushing beers when they got in there. Oh. They, they just ate they just ate the greasiest food you can imagine at the Waffle House. We used to eat at the Waffle House when I played in Amarillo on the road. My God. That oh. stuff. I'd be in the toilet like for at least twice before the game after we ate at that place. I love the Waffle House. I'm not going to lie to you. It's like one of my favorite restaurants of the South. But it can do a number on you, no doubt. I The smell of that RV would be pretty wretched. I, saw, I once saw a spider catch a fly out of midair and eat it i it was i was sitting in a booth at the waffle house Ugh. this is why i'm talking about the waffle house and we were on like a i remember it was march we played 21 games in march which was insane 21 games. i didn't even want to play anymore i was i hated my life i just wanted to go home and i remember sitting in the waffle house wondering what the hell i'm gonna do with my life i have a degree i should be doing something better than this and i watched this spider eat eat a fly and it rejuvenated <laughs> me i was like Wow. And that was the Waffle House. <laughs> Life lessons at the Life Waffle House. Life lessons at the Waffle House. I love, too, at every exit, there's a Waffle House. It's <laughs> like literally every exit from Virginia down. How many farts per minute would there be on that RV, though? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to set it over, at under. 11. FPM. I'm going 11 farts per minute. Post-Waffle House? <laughs> Half an hour after Waffle House. 11 yeah. with that many people? No, I'll take the over in a heartbeat. Really? If you're cheat, many people? Hey, if you're cheat, are you making a move on Doreen in that RV that night? Oh, he needs to. She, he, he's he got dance. the mojo going. He, he's got to wait till he can crack out his Latin dance. Moves. Yeah, that's true. But he's got the mojo. It's it's rolling for him. He wants to keep the momentum. Hey, they've going. had a couple. Everybody's feeling good. He, they've all had a couple drinks. Yeah, they're he's, lubed he's up. Got the wandering yeah, he's hand. A gentleman, though. I yeah, don't know if he makes that move I think gentleman. he needs to go for it. Yeah, I think this window's open. 
I'm not saying he he shouldn't go for it. I'm just saying I don't He's got see time. his character his window to go for it. Yeah, no, he, he no. was classier than that. He he sh- he really. Uh, he cared I think he was in a party mood. He did. I think he, he was ready to rock. He cared about Dorian. I think I'm going did. against you on this one, guys. <laughs> all right. I'm all right with it, but I think he was ready to rock. You go right ahead. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> we were talking about uh, Costner's wardrobe. Remember when he goes to that appointment and he's wearing that like misshapen hat? He's got that weird shirt with the boxy sleeves Horrible. and he's got golf shoes with the cleats taken cleats out of taken him. Amazing. That's his feet amazing. <laughs> see her look at the cleats she looked at them but those are the old school spikes those are spikes those are amazing yeah absolutely hey i found a random one other little random fact that i yep. put in when costner was playing with the tools he switched it again yeah he, he hit did. some he hit the i put he oh hit, he did he hit the shovel he switched it. I put it somewhere. He hit yeah. a shovel left and a rake right or something. I'm like, you switched it again, Costner. Oh, well done. He, yeah, I noticed there's a that. fun fact number uh, 98, how, eh? How not? Like, if you're playing around with those things. That's ridiculous. I'm just using the baseball bat because that's the only thing that has, like, a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like that because it has that, it only has that sweet spot. It might have bigger margin for error. True. Right, that's a ball. good point because if you, you the could The shovel, it. to me, would be the... the easier of them especially a smaller one like that you can yeah get a full swing i made on. a note he hit the shovel and rake right there you go the I rake put down the rake is just remember wide. when we used to hit rocks uh with the shovel out and uh when we had that landscaping job we did hit bombs yeah. <laughs> into the st lawrence river yeah <laughs> we All hit right. bombs fair enough back at your uh, cleat remove too like a short sleeve shirt with a tie, <laughs> reeks of a loser. <laughs> you are a loser. I can't do it. Ever. You are selling you're irons a, in the 1950s somewhere in insur- middle America. You're, you're, you're selling ladies Kenmore. Yeah, you're, you're a not failed Kenmore. insurance salesman. Or yeah, something. you are destined for you're, a bad. You're old Gil from you're, Simpsons. You, you are Gil. Tupperware door to door. Yeah, you're the Tupperware guy. You're the Iron Man. You're a peddler, is what you are. Yeah, that's a, just a bad look. Short sleeve shirts. I don't care if it's 50 degrees out to a wedding. Wear a long sleeve shirt. So I, I was really into the golf, obviously. So I looked up. Uh, the lowest score in a round, 18 hole in a PGA event. So Roy, in the the moving day at the U.S. Open, hits a 62. Uh, and this was actually somewhat accurate for the film. Uh, 62 is now the all-time leading uh, low score in a major round. Uh, that was in 2017 by Brandon Grace at Royal Berkshire at the o- British Open. Nice. Uh, but up until then, there were six people who had 63s at the U.S. Open, including Johnny Miller, Jack Nicklaus, VJ. Justin Thomas and Tommy Fleetwood, and the lowest U.S. amateur uh, or the lowest round by an amateur at the U.S. Open was a 65 by in, by Nick Taylor in 2009. Nice, that guy Webb. Whoa, 2009. Well I, Somebody went on the interweb. I and did his went job. on the interweb and did my job. Webb went on the interweb. Um, awesome. Uh, how about okay? So soundtrack music is composed by William Ross, who won four Emmy awards and was a two-time Grammy nominee. He composed the soundtrack. There's some. He's got some range here. He did Ladder 49, Tuck Everlasting, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And he was also credited on the Last Jedi soundtrack. He would have had to help on those because isn't that mm-hmm. all John Williams? I think all the Star Wars. Yeah, I think he sure. worked. He worked with John Williams. I think a lot. Um, but interesting that he's like doing this movie where we're looking at. You know, we got a lot, of, a lot of like light, upbeat country vibe going on. I mean, in the second half of the movie, there's a lot of when they're doing the U.S. Open. There's a lot of symphony type music, whether mm-hmm. uplifting, you know, yeah. making his run and all that stuff. But I, yeah, I think he had a lot of range for this movie. Where he was putting his music together, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the the music? Songs, yeah, nothing really. Nothing really stood out for me in terms of songs. I mean, uh, if you actually look on Spotify, there's the whole soundtrack. If somebody's put the playlist together, you can yep. actually find the Tin Clip playlist. Jr. has got that on. Uh, he's got a lot loaded for Saturday afternoon. Great oh, right with his John Fogerty collection. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait. It's you exactly know, Kev Moe is on there. A couple other guys. Uh, I forget what his name was, Brian Haggerty or something like that is one of the, the or Hogarty. I feel like somebody will fact check. Is me. there any Kenny Loggins on this There's one? no Kenny Loggins I wish. on this. A little late for Kenny Loggins. A little late, more mid yeah, to late 80s. Or a little I could have used a little Kenny in my, on this It, w- it would have fit. Well, Kenny Loggins wouldn't hurt anybody. Yeah, he could have fit. Yeah, yeah a little Caddyshack. He did Caddyshack, didn't he? Did. Okay, I believe yeah. he did. We'll find that in one of our other episodes. Oh, yeah, that'll be. Can't wait for Caddyshack. You, got, you gotta, gotta have Caddyshack. 100%. I thought it was fine. I it's thought it fit. had Texas-based music. It's super fitting. It fit the whole ro- the whole shtick, so to speak. I like that double bogey blues-based song, Story of My Golf yep. Life, on a good day. Um, I'll take it. But I thought that it was fine. No, nope. it wasn't. didn't stand out. You know what was really corny But it was for me? still pretty good. What? That This Could Take All Night song when they're, like, doing it in the... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. It's corny, but it is what it is, right? You know, it's like... Uh, yeah. I know what you mean by that. Fair enough. But no, I mean, I think I think the soundtrack fit. I think they did a good job. I think they scored it well. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't like the star of the movie. The soundtrack. It was just music when you needed it. Yeah. When they're driving on the uh, song, I'm slips my mind. But when they're in the Winnebago en route to the U.S. Open, yeah, like, that not, it was all fitting. Yeah, there's nothing that that uh, kind of gets you fired up. You know, it's not like. Uh, Eye of the Tiger coming on and no. running up the steps, but there's nothing that it, it didn't take away from the film in any way either. It was just average. I thought the golf, the way the golf scenes too in the U.S. Open, the way that was scored was like very fitting as well. Yeah, it's it's very professional. It's like you're not kind of jumping around. With a, you're you not know. some rinky dink operation in a garage putting yeah. music together. Yeah, no, exactly. Was, no, I think he did a good. I mean, it's obviously William Ross is a decorated man in the business so i thought yeah i thought he did a good job so let's do a little wrap up where, where, where's where's this movie rank for you guys all time in golf movie realm or sport movie overall? let's do let's start with golf Ooh, i go one number one Ooh, over caddyshack yes wow i like it as one now caddyshack that's a great movie too don't get me wrong i'm not discounting caddyshack i'm gonna set it at one i'm putting it high i like it i like the cast a lot more realism the cast sets it for me uh the realism to it i like some of the drama of it i like the love triangle ronnie dangerfield after a while come on like does he not drive you guys nuts after a while i'll say no respect yeah like yeah sorry but i like i think this cast is good guy good guy no i know why tiger zito young I'll take it at one for that reason. The The psychology of this movie, I think, is pretty cool and very relatable. I connect more to this one because he's just a regular dude. Um, you have the David versus Goliath. Like We talked about the themes. I do set it at one, and uh, that's it. I, it's mostly I give it because of the cast. I'm so buying it. Where is it ranked then in just all-time sports movies? If you got it high in your golf movie, where is it getting your... Mm. It's in the top f- six. Wow. Oh, that's a, that's pretty high. Tin Cup wow, to me a is a one. very, very good movie. It is. I have it up there very high. I've never met anybody when you say Tin Cup, they're like, oh. Most people, male, female that I talk to, are like, Tin Cup, oh, yeah, nice. I usually this watch past it week, every couple years. Yeah, this past week, people, it's like I said, Jordan, what movie guys doing? Tin Cup. Oh, nice. U.S. Open time, it comes to mind, right? Every 100%. year, like when U.S. Open comes around, you're yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Right back away. I just think with a Caddyshack, again, when we do it, it's a great flick. Don't get me wrong. I really like it. But it's just, no. It's not golf. I think Costner keeps things valid. Because he's like, he has a lot of respect for sports. Yes. Where you see, like, Kevin Costner respects the craft. And Don Johnson does in this one, too, for that matter. They take on swing coaches and they do their own swing. It's legit, yeah. They, so they look be pretty good sweet to get paid to take golf lessons. Yes, yeah, of course. Amazing. But that's one another reason. They, they respect the, the level of respect. Okay. Take it. I think I got, you know what? That was an impassioned plea. And I, uh, Thank I, you. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, gotta, I think those are the two big movies, right? I think Caddyshack and Tin Cup are your two big golf ones. Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. Happy Gilmore. Vance. Oh, Vance is a Bigger great one. Vance. Yeah, there's a couple. There's Happy a Gilmore. Couple, you can't have a couple good golf ones. movies out there. Ooh, Beggar Vance is a great movie. I would. I think I'd have Beggar Vance in the top. I think Tin Cup and Beggar Vance would be my top two. I can't put Tin Cup ahead of Caddyshack. I personally can't. I just. I, I yeah. love Caddyshack. I got so many great memories of Caddyshack. Yeah. So I can't put it ahead of Caddyshack. That's it's, fair. It's, it's well, a solid a number two in terms of golf movies. It's yep. up there. Um, I definitely would put it above, you know, uh, Happy Gilmore for sure. But it has its moments as well. In terms of sports movies, I don't even know if it makes my top 10. I've got it in my top 10, but it's not in my top five. Yeah, I I think it's probably like it's borderline in the 10. Like it's that it's it's probably not in my top 10. It might be like 11, like 12. Like it's hovering around the top 10, but it's not there. That's fair. There's too many good sports movies out there. I'd probably put it somewhere around eight. Eight nine, wow! Yeah, I I've got that. it up there. I like it. It's I like it too. I I, I thoroughly enjoy it. But yeah, I don't know. In the golf world, <laughs> I just put it. I just put it up there. And the Kobe sports Kobe. movies, I think it's the depth of it supersedes some of the other sports movies that are really good, but don't have like depth like Tin Cup does. Fair enough. If I actually it's look, a well-rounded it. movie. Yeah, it it's well-rounded. Whereas you know you have some sports movies that are awesome. But there's nothing there, yeah. so to speak. I mean, kind of the way I have it. I know it's high and lofty, but I'll take it. Yeah. Well, you I'll have f- had a few Arnold Palmer Sunday <laughs> putting that in there. <laughs> Out of hey, a Waffle House cup. You're going to see on the uh, Twitter page. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put that picture on there. JR pulled out a Waffle House Shout coffee mug. Shout out to mug. Waffle House. Waffle yeah. House in... Unofficial uh, sponsor of the show today. I can't remember the South Carolina town I got this in. I was with my father, Tom Reed, who... Big uh, legend. Um, uh, we were at a Waffle House driving back from Florida, and we stopped at the South Carolina one, ate at the counter, obviously. And then uh, the lady gave me a coffee mug from there because she liked our Canadian accent so much. And I thought it was a super cool coffee mug. So. You got you to gotta hang on to that forever. That's awesome. Oh, the thing's cracking a little bit, but it Ooh. doesn't matter. I'll Gorilla Glue that baby back yeah, together. you got to put that one together. You're going to have to take the glue out on so, that. Yeah, you'll see it on the Twitter page. Nice. All right, boys. That was a that was a good second episode. I think. Yeah, uh, very good. Great movie. Very another good, good one. Um, and we're excited to continue this. We're gonna keep dropping them. And Webster doesn't know golf movies. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that um, ranks Tin Cup higher than Caddyshack? We haven't figured out our question. next one yet. We don't want to give you. We we don't want to drop the teaser yet. But um, we will see you next time. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Cheers, boys. Let's Take care. More of these Arnies. Absolutely. Sports and the glitz and the glamour Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady
lady staring. Fun facts and trivia, man, rocket comparing. Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things. Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance. Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants? With their big bag of tricks, these podcast critics. Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks. Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks. Jordan Christian and Jammer.